It's good to be with you guys. It's always an honor to be around Mark. What a great leader. What, how, what a blessed district you are to have the kind of leadership you've had. I mean, it was pretty good under Brother St. John, but now, no, I'm just cutting up a little bit. We have high, high regard for that man of God. When I first was elected as superintendent, he was already in that role here, and he's one of the guys I paid attention to and tried to learn from, and what a great leader he was and still is. And now to hand that baton off to such an incredible man of God, man of righteousness and leadership. And we're just blessed to have you on our team when it comes to district superintendents and the way you lead this incredible district. Thank you. I, I, uh, I used to brag a little bit about our campground. I thought we had a nice one. <laughs> and now I've been here. And so uh, I'm going to have to change my whole tune. This, these new buildings are phenomenal, aren't they? Have you, I mean, listen, you don't get to travel as much as I do maybe, but I, I promise you, you, are, you have taken the lead of campgrounds in America and the Assemblies of God with that, with that building that you've built. Praise the Lord. I'm going to try to get my, ah, there it is. There's a sermon I can preach. I, uh, I'm excited to be here with you guys, and there's so much. But first of all, let me give you, have a little fun with you. I, Rita is a cheesehead. That's true. Uh, it was really difficult. You think it's hard for you? I'm a cowboy fan. I grew up in Dallas. And uh, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm cowboy. She's cheesehead. We would only go to one game a year when we lived there. We'd go to the Green Bay Packer Dallas Cowboy football game in Dallas. And we, I couldn't afford the good seats, so we'd set up in the cheap seats, which had been purchased by all of the Green Bay Packers in the world that came to Dallas. So I would be the only, the only guy up there rooting for the Cowboys. And then when they found out that she had married, we were one time, this is a true story, they, those Packers found out that I was a Cowboys fan and she had married me. They said, why did you marry a Cowboy fan? And she said, well, you know, it's a long story. They said, well, do you believe in divorce? You could get rid of it. I mean, this whole crowd was trying to throw me over. It was unbelievable how much animosity there was toward me that day. First half, we were ahead. It was pretty good. I was enjoying it. And then they beat us. And so it was a rough day. But I've, uh, we've, we've had that for a long time, and, and it's been fun. She comes from a family with 17 children. Now, there seems to be a lot more of that up north than there is down south. Uh, I, don't know, I guess it's the cold weather. I'm not sure. I don't know where to go with that. I'll leave that alone. I better go somewhere else pretty quick, hadn't I? Anyway, so her, I want to tell you their story, though, before I speak. Her mom had 11 children, and after 11, um, uh, by the way, one mom, one dad, no twins. I mean, 17 kids. She had 11 kids, and she developed lung cancer. And... Um, she wasn't a smoker, but her husband was, and probably a secondhand smoke thing. Anyway, she, uh, they put her in the hospital in Toma, Wisconsin. Just, just out of curiosity, anybody ever driven through Toma? Do you know where it is? Oh, look at all the hands. Everybody knows where Toma is. Yeah. You know, I don't get that in Texas. They don't know where Toma is. So, so, so Rita grew up in Toma. They put her in the little hospital there and didn't give her much hope. Well, her mother, Rita's grandmother, had started attending the Assemblies of God Church there in Toma. At the time, the church was running about 40. And uh, so her mom visited her daughter, Rita's mother, and said, uh, my pastor's been preaching on divine healing. They lay hands on people and believe God will heal. I'd like him to come pray for you. And she said, I'd like him to also. So he comes. He sits down with her, didn't know her, uh, talked with her a little bit explained divine healing she told him well we go to the catholic church we believe in divine healing we believe god heals and um, he said well i'm gonna anoint you with all and pray for you he did and uh nothing happened you ever had that prayer he leaves the room but within minutes after he left the room she began to choke and something came loose in her lung and she actually threw up the tumor that had been inside of her lungs. It just came out all at once. Is that a great story? Incredible. Incredible. So the very next Sunday, she showed up with 11 kids. So at her, at her, at her mother's funeral, one of the old guys that had been around a long time, he remembered that. He, he had a chance to say something. He was a deacon in the church. He was able to speak at her funeral. He said, that day, our church went from 40 to 52 in one miracle. <laughs> and, and I thought that's a great line. And they told great stories of her mom. She went on to have more kids. 
and those kids. The ones she had after that, almost all of them ended up being Assemblies of God pastors or married to Assemblies of God ministers. And God knew what he was doing, didn't he? God had a plan. That's Rita's story. It's a pretty cool story. And uh, I just wanted you to know her a little better. I love that about her. And then she's sitting next to Dan and Bonnie. Now, y'all probably know Dan and Bonnie Johnson. They've been around since, well, right after Methuselah, I think. But we won't go back that far. So here's the story I got to tell about them. Though. Then I'll get serious in a minute. When, my, when Dan came to Southwestern to go to Southwestern Assemblies of God Bible College, and it was still a college then. It wasn't a university yet. And they came to go there. My dad was pastoring not too far from there and was the presbyter in that area. He ended up hiring Danny to be our youth pastor. Danny is my youth pastor. And so that's kind of cool, isn't it? I mean, that's just pretty neat. And so we love you guys and are just so glad that we can be there and hang out with you a little bit. And it's pretty cool for us, really cool for us. So God bless you guys. Good to see you. He was always from Minnesota, and you could always tell it when he talked because Texans speak differently. And uh, obviously, you picked up on that by now. And, uh, but it's good to be with you guys. I'm going to be doing a series of the sermons I'm going to do as God leads. I don't know how much I'll get through each session. We'll just see where the Lord leads. When I feel like it's time to respond to the altar, I'll just stop and we'll let God move. Does that sound fair? And uh, we're just going to try to follow the Holy Spirit. But over the, over the years in my life, God has uh, given me some things about prayer that's been personal to me and helped me, just like he has you. The difference is I, I had a moment in my life where I felt like God said, write all that down. And so we went to work to write it, put it in a book. So I, what I'm about to share, it's all in here. There will be a lot I won't share. It's just not enough. But a number of people reading the book and telling me what it's doing is making them want to pray. And that was the goal. They said, I read the book and I want to go pray. I said, well, man, we all need that little thing to help us want to go pray, don't we? And this, this kind of helps with that. So these books will be for sale. They're $400 a piece. But tonight, they're on sale for 15 and so I'm telling you, it's quite a deal. No, anyway, they're not really $400 a piece. But uh, we sell them for 15 I think Amazon gets a little more, and I, think, and I know that the office charges you more, so buy from me. I'm just making you the deal of a lifetime here. Anyway, uh, we'll do that. I don't think we're going to mess with it tonight, but we'll mess with it tomorrow. We'll get it set up. So if in the process, you, these books would help you. We would love you to do it. So I never want to hold one. I always want to give one of these books away when I'm up here talking. So here's what I'm going to do. I know Danny, and the man needs to pray. So I'm going to give my first book to Danny and say I love you, buddy, and thank you, guys. God bless you all. All right. I want to start with a story. I want to start with prayer, and then we're going to jump into the story that kind of sets up what we're going to talk about in the next few days. Father, I love you. You could do something in this place in the next day and a half that could literally change this entire state. You could do something in our hearts and in our eyes, how we see, how we feel, how we think, and the faith we operate in, and the way we use our calendar and our daytime. Father, there's some shifts you could make in us that wouldn't even seem that dramatic, but in the long run, they could make a change in this entire state. They could start a revival. There's things you can do because there's nothing you can't do. And if there's something that you would have me to say or something that could come from someone speaking up here that could help us walk down that road, we just ask you to use these moments for divine purposes in our lives and in your church. We surrender it all to you and we trust you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the story. I was pastoring the church in Texas, and uh, it had grown a little bit, but it wasn't that big yet. It was, a, it was a healthy church, probably 400, maybe 500. It was a good church. And Brother Trask was our general superintendent. He had called one of those national prayer meetings that he called. He did it a couple of times while he was superintendent. He called, and it was going to be next door to the, to the national office at Central Assemblies of God. So I said to my t staff, why don't we all go to that? And they said, well, we don't. I said, you're going to that. So we got in the van, and we, and we went to it. And uh, we had a practice of praying early in the morning at the church. So they had said that the Central Assembly would be open at 6 o'clock in the morning for prayer. So I told the guys, we'll get up in the morning, we'll go to prayer at 6, and then we'll go eat breakfast, and we'll come back for the first session at 9. They said, all right, Pastor. So they're all up. We get in the van. We leave the hotel about uh, the old, the old uh, 
whatever it's called there that we all stay at, double something, double tree. And so we leave the double tree and we get there and we, we go in to pray about six in the morning. We're there, the, this, the lights are low. It's a good set. It's in the main auditorium. There's, you know, if you've been there, there's a balcony that circles all the way around. It's similar to the shape of this room. And so I was back over on that side underneath the balcony. We all spread out. I went to my place. They went to theirs. <coughs> I'm getting over a little cough, so I may have to drink a little water along the way. And if you're jealous of this, life's tough. <laughs> that did taste good. So here's what, <clears throat> as I was kneeling, to, they were all praying, and so was I. Music was quiet. It was a perfect setting. Atmosphere was right. As I knelt down to pray, I made this comment. I said, Lord, I want to come into your throne room this morning. Now, I'm thinking Hebrews boldly approached the throne of grace. I'd said that to God before. It wasn't the first time that I wanted to enter into that place where business is taken care of for the kingdom. You know what I mean? And as I was kneeling, suddenly God began to show me the throne room. It didn't last very long. I don't know if I, I don't even really call it a vision. I call it a, I don't even know what to call it. I just know that suddenly I was grasping things I'd not grasped before and recognizing things I'd not recognized before. And here's what it was. Here's what I saw. Where I was standing would have been, my viewpoint was in a big, a huge circle. And I was standing like at a, at a balcony level or a, or a, a mezzanine level, a, kind of a raised floor looking over into the next level. As I looked into the next level, I saw me. And every time I would think of something, the scripture, the scripture would back it up. The scripture would come to my mind. I saw the, the throne of God was on my left side from where I was, and I didn't look at it, and I wasn't supposed to. So I didn't see God, and I, I don't have any of that revelation that John had, and none of that happened. I, I wish I could have, but I think if I looked at him, I'd have died or something. I don't know, but I just knew not to look there. But I knew God was there. And then the 24 thrones started at his right side, and it formed a huge circle and the Lord spoke to me and reminded me of the scripture that said the circle of the earth. I wasn't sure why he said that to me, but I saw this huge circle and it was the 24 thrones. I don't know who was the 12 apostles and who were the 12 heads of the tribes of Israel. I don't know all of that. All I know is there were the thrones. That's all I was supposed to know. And it's all I knew. As I looked in the middle of this vast opening, I saw what John called the sea of glass. I remember that he had said the sea of glass. There was this great sea of glass. You've read it in, in, the, in the book of Revelation. I saw it. And I thought, this is really, this is really, uh, this is just Bible. This is just, and then I looked, and as I looked in, here's where it shifted. It's not that it wasn't Bible, but I'd never read it or picked it up or understood it before. As I looked into the sea of glass, I could see the entire earth. There was not a part of the earth that was not visible in that sea. There could, you could see all of the continents. You could see all of the cities. If you focused, you could see people. I mean, it was just dynamic. It was just everything. And then the Lord reminded me of the scripture. My heaven, the heavens are my throne, but the earth is my footstool. And I realized the feet of the Father are seated on that sea of glass. And before him is all the earth. There is nothing he can't see. The scripture speaks of his all-seeing eye that watches over us. Everything was visible. If you try to put on your science hat and figure out how, how a circling sphere that's in orbit around the sun, how does all that work? I have no idea. I don't know where to put all that in. All I can tell you is that day I saw everything. And as I saw it, I was pretty amazed. I was like, oh, 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 these scriptures are suddenly making sense. And then I saw standing on the sea of glass, Jesus himself, and he was walking or again, the scripture came to mind that he walked among the candlesticks, which are the churches. And I saw, I said, how cool is this? Jesus can walk among our churches and still be in heaven in his work of intercession. It's so uniquely designed that he's both completely in the heaven and completely on the earth at the same time. And he's moving and walking. And it's not just a spiritual thing. It is very spiritual. But yet there's a practical piece of how this thing functions. And I'm watching all this and I'm, I'm pretty amazed. I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to do with it as God's revealing it to me. But I see it. And then Jesus would stop. And he would stand in a spot on the earth and he would begin to intercede. 
His intercession was what John called the voice of many waters. Said it sounded like many waters. But to me, I would listen to him pray, and I didn't know what he was praying, nor could I understand it at all. It was too much. But here's what I understood. The focus should be on the many, not the waters. It wasn't like a waterfall, but he was praying so many things at one time. The way he prayed and could communicate with the Father was so phenomenal that as he communicated in this, this level of communication that is so far beyond us, the Father could understand it all. And he is praying these phenomenal prayers, and he's standing there. And as he was praying, I thought, man, I don't even know what he's praying, but wow, it's going to happen. Whatever he's praying is going to happen. And I don't know why he's praying the way he's praying, but man, it was powerful prayer. And I said, man, if he's praying like that for me, it's going to happen. Yeah. It was a neat moment, and I'm watching it. And then I noticed that there were angels coming from above. And I looked above me, and I saw that there was a stadium, that the circle continued. And now the circle was this stadium going higher and higher. And again, I remembered what John said, that we were encircled by, and the term he uses actually fits a term, stadium would, would work inside that term. That These angels, 10,000 times 10,000. And there they were. Only when Jesus was praying to the Father, I don't know what the Father was doing, but somehow he was doing something that let the angels know what their assignments were. And sometimes a hundred and sometimes a thousand and sometimes one or two were going past me and going into that sea of glass and disappearing into their assignment on earth. And I could see all this activity. It wasn't a quiet place. It was a happening place. It was exciting. And I'm watching this. Jesus is praying. And the whole of heaven is being moved by the power of Jesus' prayer. It was stirring everything. And whatever was happening in heaven was having direct impact on what was going to happen on the earth. Are you keeping up so far? It was quite a moment for me. And all this is happening really fast. It didn't take very long. He's just showing me as fast as, fast as he thinks I can keep up, I guess. And it's happening. And then, and then... I realized there are people with me. I'm not the only one on that level. And he reveals to me, and he says, this is the cloud of witnesses. You're standing among that we're encamped about by, or encircled, according to which, which version you read, by these cloud of witnesses. So I thought immediately, well, I'm going to see Moses and Elijah and all those guys that are in the list in Hebrews. But that wasn't who I saw at all. There were other people. I'm, I'm, I guess they were somewhere, but I didn't see them. But what I did see was the activity that was happening. And I noticed some things. One of the things I noticed were people were just people, and they were standing over here, and they were looking and watching and staring and waiting for something. And then, and then I saw that they began to get all excited. And I looked over, and God let me see what they were looking at. And there was a, a young man giving his heart to God in a church service and then I realized just because I because I knew it was their grandson that they had prayed for for years and years and at the time of his salvation they had been summoned to the cloud of witnesses and they were watching this young man give his heart to God and I said what's this all about he said because your prayers live on beyond you and their prayers were going to be answered and they get to see it, watch it happen when it's answered. And then I noticed there were others watching marriages restored. They were watching revival be poured out over the cities they had wept over and cried over and prayed over. All these things were happening and it was all connected. Remember what he said in Hebrews. He said, these all having not seen... But they had paid the price. They had paid it in prayer. Now they were seeing. They were witnessing what God had done. That's all coming to me. And then I'm going, wow, this is, I didn't get this. I didn't get this. I didn't get the interaction between the throne room and earth the way I was in that moment. And then he showed me something else. Someone would, had passed away and they were Christian and they were coming up through the glass. And Jesus, with all of his incredible ability, not limited like us, he, just as much as he was there to pray, he was there to greet them and welcome them into the, into the fullness. And then he was pointing up. And I noticed he pointed this person. And he had friends and family welcoming him as he came up. And there was this connection that we wouldn't be known even as we are known, that there's a relational connection that goes on into heaven. I, I, didn't, I didn't understand everything I saw, but it was a dynamic moment. I'm watching that, and, I, and the scripture he gave me, he said, remember, remember when Stephen was stoned. Remember what he said. He looked up, and he said, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. 
He said, that's what's happening. There's this revelation. Suddenly they can see through this glass from the other side. And they're coming up to meet with Jesus and move forward. And it was just, it was so dynamic. It was so cool and so much. And it happened so quick. And then it was over. I said, I'm just kneeling there, my face in the, in the padding of the pew, going, what, what in the world? Why did you show me all that for? That was great. Then the Holy Spirit said, okay, what did you learn? I said, I don't even know. Um, I said, I think first of all, I learned it, that I don't enter into the throne room. I live in the throne room. I'm always in the throne room. All of the earth is in the throne room. Heaven was built around us. Or we were built in the middle of heaven. I don't really know how it works, but I'm always in the throne room. And then he whispered to me, and he said, that's right. He said, and that's the reason that when God destroys the heaven, he has to destroy the earth. And he destroys, he destroys them both. And when he builds, he builds a new heaven and a new earth because the interconnectivity between the two are so dynamic. That's why Jesus said, don't you know heaven is at hand? You live there. You live in the midst of it. The all-seeing eye is always watching you. You are a participant in a process that's as much spiritual as it is physical. So, you still with me? So that's where I was. And, and, and I said, he said, what else? I said, well, I noticed, I noticed when Jesus' prayer became more intense, heaven became more active. He said, that's right. So why did it become more intense? I said, I don't know. I don't know. He said, as he walked around the earth, he was look, looking for places where people were praying that he could join them in their prayer. And when he would step into the prayers that were already being prayed, his prayers were released. And he was taking what you're praying further to the Father. So when you pray in Jesus' name, you're not just praying a way to close a prayer. You are actually participating with Jesus in prayer, who then participates with you in prayer. And when the two of you are praying together, it becomes so dynamic that it literally shifts heaven. I said, I don't pray enough. He said, I was hoping you'd pick up on that. I said, prayer is the most important thing we do. He said, by far. All that other stuff put it all together and it doesn't even come close to balancing out the scale it's all about prayer it's all about prayer I just I didn't know hardly how to respond I prayed and I asked God to teach me how to pray I'm still on the journey I don't want you to think that I've become this great man of prayer I, I don't think I have I have some days where I get it right, and I have some days where I don't. Is that fair? I have some times where the Holy Spirit really helps, and I'm pretty good at it when He really helps. And then I have some other time where I feel like I can't find Him and I can't get the help I need, and my prayers don't seem to be too effective. But I have learned this. I've learned that even the prayers I don't feel are effective. There's something about praying. The prayer that's unanswered is the prayer that's never prayed. There's something about this dynamic of prayer that if we could get it, if we really got it, if we really got it, I say in the book, I, one of the little comments I make, if we ever really get this, our churches will become the houses of prayer. Once we see the dynamic of it and we pick up on it, it's, we're gonna, prayer's going to be our main thing. Everything else is going to be the add-on. Right now, I'm just too often the other way. That prayer's the add-on. Prayer should be the main thing. And when we understand how the heavens function, we'll understand why. So I'm going to get into my little message in a minute, but stay with me. Can I go just a little further with this? It's so dynamic to me that, that prayer means so much, and yet I fight it just like everybody else to get enough time in prayer, to spend enough. I'm, I'm just like everybody. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. We're going to talk about the specifics of it, but, but it's the battle. It's the battle because it's where the victories won or not won. How important is it? There are things I'm going to do. I'll show you this in my teaching in just a minute. But what we, do, what we do in the altar is the most important thing we do. Because when we pray, we can affect heaven. And when we affect heaven, heaven will affect earth. 
If we try to go directly and affect earth without going by means of heaven, then whatever we do will be short-term and not eternal. But for it to be eternal, we have to go through heaven to get it done. Remember, remember this little picture, and John gives it to us again. It's when Jesus was... Well, actually, there was a, a statement made... Uh, the scroll was brought out and they said who's worthy to open the seals and, and they looked all through heaven so I, I see them looking up in that cloud of witnesses anybody up there worthy? no they couldn't find anybody and then they look up in the angels and none of the angels were worthy and then they walked around all the 24 elders and none of them were worthy by now John is uptight he's crying oh God nobody can open that he doesn't even know what it means to open it he just knows it needs to be opened and he's crying and he's broken over this thing there's no one and then one of the elders gets up and walks over to John, puts his hand on him and says, John, 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 John. It's okay, buddy. There is one who is worthy. He said, I looked up and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is worthy. All heaven spends a little time worshiping Jesus. And then Jesus goes over, takes the scroll, and he breaks open the seal. And as soon as he breaks open the first seal, stuff starts happening on earth. Until he broke the seal, the earth was the same. But once Jesus opened the seal, stuff started happening on the earth. And it's the same way today. Until Jesus can do what he needs to do, what needs to happen on the earth can't happen. And somehow there's this connection. We'll try to cover that. This connection between our prayer life and his prayer life. And what he can do and what he accomplishes. And once we begin to really grasp this, then we spend more time praying and less time just working. Don't you love that little passage when Mary and Martha are having their moment? And Martha gets Jesus and asks him to scold Mary. And Jesus says, you know this very well. He said, Mary, I mean Martha, Mary has chosen the better. And in Luke he even says, the only thing. What a statement. If it's not done in prayer and worship, then it really doesn't matter what you've done. It's the only thing. I mean, you say, Pastor, how far are you going to go with this? I, don't, I can't go far enough with this. Because that little moment taught me that what happens at the altar determines the outcome. Out of that, I came up with a statement. I wanted to call the book this, but, but the publishers liked the, in Jesus' name better, and I lost but whoever controls the altar controls the outcome. And that's where I came down on all this. In Acts 1.14 it said, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. That's, that's before the upper room. That's in the upper room. That's preparation for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They all joined together constantly in prayer. How often were they in prayer? Constantly. They didn't know what else to do. You know, before the church had figured out what to do, it knew what to do. It wasn't until we had other options. But back when the only option they had was seeking the Lord, they sought the Lord. We need to get back to that being our only option. One more time. Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly the sound of a blowing violent wind came from heaven <coughs> and filled the whole house where they were set. It suddenly happened when our prayer aligns with God's purpose. It was God's time, it was God's purpose, and their prayers were aligned with the purpose of God. What if the day of Pentecost had came, but no one had been in the upper room? No one had been praying. The purpose of God would have been missed. But when our prayers align with the purpose of God, things begin to happen. Because prayer has that kind of impact. Now, I want you to stay with me. We're going to go on a quick journey. We're going to start in Daniel chapter 6, verse 6. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O king Darius, live forever. The royal administrators and perfects and satraps and advisors and the governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. 
Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Why would the devil, why would the devil inspire such an order? Why would he do it? Why would he say for the next 30 days no one should pray unless they pray to the king? Well, we can talk about the men and what their motivation was because their motivation was clear that they were intimidated by Daniel and Daniel was in the way of their promotions and what they wanted to do and what they wanted to accomplish. He represents the church in their society and in our society. He was that thing that got in the way of all the things they want to do. So there he was in the way. How are we going to remove him? Well, he doesn't do anything wrong. He lives in righteousness. His, his, his ways are good. He's pure. He's honest. He's got all that stuff. How are we going to bring him down? Well, there's one thing he does. He prays all the time. So if we could, if we could uh, stop him from, if we could somehow make it against the law to pray, we could get him. <clears throat> and then one of them said, I think we can pull that off. I've got a plan. I know how we can do that. We can get Daniel out of the way by making it against the law to pray, and he'll pray, and we'll have him where we want him. But the real inspiration of that came further back. It came from the devil himself. The devil himself, who was saying, if I don't stop Daniel from praying, then God's going to answer his prayer, and I'm going to be defeated. The real focus was the devil saying, the one thing that can defeat me is the prayer. The prayer of one man consistently and faithful, faithful to his prayer, praying according to the word of God, can defeat everything I'm trying to do. He wasn't afraid of, get this, he wasn't afraid of Daniel's position in the kingdom. He was not afraid of Daniel's giftings. He was not afraid of Daniel's heritage. He wasn't afraid of Daniel's administrative skill. He wasn't afraid of his influence with other leaders. The only thing that intimidated the devil with Daniel was his prayer life. Think about that. Because the devil knows that whoever controls the altar controls the outcome. Daniel had found the promise of God written in his word and was now declaring it on the altar before God. If we were to go back, I think it's Daniel chapter 9, he begins to make that revelation. He begins to declare it. If he was stopped before the faith of Daniel or someone empowered, uh, empowered with a breakthrough from heaven that would allow the promise to be fulfilled, if he couldn't stop him, it was going to be fulfilled. He had to stop him. I don't think the devil completely comprehended, nor do I think today he completely comprehends. He's not as sharp as he thinks he is. Either that or, or obviously a lot of what he's done has been pretty stupid, but we won't go there. But here's what he did know. He knew that something was going to happen in Jerusalem and that he needed to keep the children of Israel out of Jerusalem. He knew that while he had them in Babylon, he didn't need to let them go back. He knew that if they went back and restored that city, it wasn't going to work out good for him. I don't think he could see so far into the future as to see the cross of Christ and to see the empty tomb. I don't think he could see the fulfillment of all of it because it was in Scripture, but he was blinded to it. We were not even, people didn't even totally understand what God was up to, but he was up to it. But he did know this. God wanted the people to go back, and he made a promise to Jeremiah. And he said that after 70 years, they'll return. Daniel had found that promise and was praying it and declaring it before God. And the devil was saying, we got to stop him because something bad's going to happen to my kingdom if those people get back to that city and rebuild that city and establish it for the purpose God has in mind. So he did all he could do not to stop Daniel from leading, but to stop Daniel from praying because the most powerful thing Daniel would do was pray. Biblical promises are not automatic. They must be transferred from the spiritual from the natural, excuse me, to the spiritual. The spiritual promise must be brought into the natural, and by the natural it must be produced in the heavens. Something must transform, and prayer is how that happens. You can find many promises in Scripture. You can celebrate them on Sunday morning, but if you hadn't prayed them through, that doesn't mean they're going to happen. The fire of the Spirit would fall on the altars on multiple times in the Old Testament, and it would take that which was offered in the natural and turn it into something that would ascend to God in the spiritual. That same anointing needs to rest on us as we pray something through, and we take it from its natural, and we turn it into the spiritual and let it ascend to God into the fullness of what God means for it to be. It's, remember this, Jesus taught us this, whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We are participants 
participants in the process of God at our altars. And if we fail to, partic fail to participate, we'll not see the fullness of the promise that God has in our time and when it should happen. Our human responsibility matters. <clears throat> Since the day that Adam was given the earth, even though he fell, only man can determine the full outcome of the earth. We're participants. You can say, I don't like that, but I don't care. It's the truth. Jesus had to become a man to make a difference. He had to take on humanity to accomplish what had to be accomplished. Because there was the first Adam and there was the second Adam. And the importance of mankind and our authority and our responsibility. I don't know if it's the second chapter or the third chapter in the book. I go into this in more detail. But, but this is what it means to me. That if I have spiritual authority over a church, God has called me to be the pastor. I'm not the pastor because somebody elected me pastor. I'm pastor because Jesus who called me appointed me to be the pastor. And all authority belongs to him. And if I have any authority, I didn't get it from those who elected me. I got it from him who called me. But the authority that I walk in gives me a responsibility. And the most and best use of that authority is in my altar, not in my pulpit. The one thing a church can't outgrow is the prayer life of its pastor. That's kind of heavy, isn't it? Daddies, you have an incredible responsibility and authority with your family. It's an unusual authority as the head of the home. It's a dynamic authority. Don't just use it with a belt in your hand or don't just use it with some notes on the refrigerator. No, use it in your prayer closet. You can make a bigger difference for your children in prayer than any other place because you have a spiritual authority in your home. <coughs> we see that dynamic. Human responsibility matters. <clears throat> Jesus had to take on a spiritual authority that only he could take because he was out without sin. But he still had to do it in human form to accomplish the purpose. Are you keeping up with this? Yeah. James says you have not because you, you didn't pray. Israel could have entered into the promised land earlier than before the 40 years, but they didn't. Because even though the door was open, they didn't have the faith to go in. There's some things we can do in life that we haven't done because we haven't prayed them into being. We've waited for them to happen to us. God's waiting for us to happen to them. How much are we leaving on the table because we don't understand that whoever controls the altar controls the outcome? What would happen if the church rose up and turned the house of God into a house of prayer? And if we begin to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray until we fill the vial with prayer. I talk about that in the Bible, I mean in the book, but there's this reality that, they, that something is a tipping point. I don't understand all that even myself, but I know there seems to be a tipping point when enough prayer and enough faith and enough declaration and enough time and all of a sudden that which was impossible becomes possible, becomes impossible not to happen. But it shifts what's possible and what isn't. Prayer does that. I wish I could just pray a little prayer and it would be done because I prayed a little prayer. But it, it, that's not that way. Prayer is something that's more involved. It seems to be warfare. It seems to be a battle. We used to call them prayer warriors. Good term. We go in there to win. So I'm reading through the book of Mark in my regular devotional time couple of years ago three years ago maybe and I get to Mark chapter 9 and that's the story of of Jesus taking Peter James and John with him up on the mountain and he was transfigured in front of them and they saw him in his glory and, and Peter said we need to build three houses and live here it was quite a moment for them all Jesus said no we have to go back down they work their way down the mountain they get back to the valley after all of that and they look in the valley and the other nine disciples are praying to are trying to cast the devil out of a boy y'all know the story right and they couldn't do it. They were unsuccessful. Jesus comes up and the father said, I've been, my son, he said the devil throws him in the fire and he throws him in the water and he's trying to kill my son. It's a constant battle for his life. And I brought him to your disciples because I've heard y'all cast out devils. I mean, the story's out on you guys, but they can't do it. Can you? Jesus said, I'm pretty sure I can do this. And he cast the devil out. He didn't really say that. You know that, right? He cast the devil out. So keep reading. You get down toward the end of chapter 9, and they were behind closed doors, and the nine asked him, why couldn't we do it? Fair question. 
Because earlier, he had already given them authority to cast out devils, and they had already been casting out devils. So it was a, it was a fair question. Why couldn't we do this one? We've been doing it. His answer is very unique. He said, first of all, he said, this kind. Interesting word. Look up the word. Look up its meaning. It means category. It means type. So suddenly he's saying there's a type of devil that you've not dealt with before. He said, this kind only, and the word only actually means only. There's not three ways, there's one way. So I'm going to tell you, the one way you get rid of this kind. By now they've got their parchments out and their quail pens and they're writing down what he said. Only comes out by, NIV says prayer, King James says prayer and fasting. What is the word then? King James called it prayer and fasting. NIV and most of the modern translations don't add fasting. But here's what the word says. It's a word that means a place of prayer or it means a consistent prayer or a life of prayer. The key word really focuses more on place than anything else. So what he's saying was there has to be a place where you're going to pray. If you're just praying in public and you're trying to cast out the demon, it's this demon you're not going to be able to cast it out. This category, you're going to have to have been in a place of prayer and already won the victory before you show up for the fight. Is that making sense? So I'm reading that morning, my, just my regular Bible study and doing my little, you know, how you can do on the computers today. It's just a gift from God. You don't even need to go to Bible school. No, I'm kidding. That's just a joke. I'm just a joke. I spent a lot, long time as chairman of Southwestern Board, and I believe in it with all my heart. I just was being funny. And it wasn't funny. And I'm telling you, it just wasn't funny. But it is nice to have computer software that will help you do that work. So as I'm, I'm doing that, and God spoke to me that morning. You know what he said? he said? He said, the kind of devil America is dealing with today will not come out with the kind of prayer the American church is praying today. We've not faced what we're facing right now. We've, we're hearing stuff we've never heard of before. We're hearing, we're hearing things so perverted, so anti what God said, so anti what God established, so opposite of it, calling evil good and good evil. That's what he said would happen. We're seeing it like we've never seen it, and we don't know what to do. The American church has become so pampered for so long that we could actually do church with very little prayer, but we can no longer do church without prayer. It's moving us back to needing places of prayer. The victory is not going to be won with our Sunday morning quick prayers. We're going to have to have won the victory in another place. Wow. That whole concept of somebody with authority walking and doing the work. In Ezekiel 22:30, you've heard, are y'all still with me? I don't want to go longer than I should, and I, I don't, because I can just stop and walk off. I can, I have that gift. I've never used it before, but I've always had it, just in case <laughs> the opportunity were to come. I'm watching it. You know, you don't get to eat anyway, so what does it really matter? <laughs> this, this actually keeps you busy, so you don't think about it. Yeah, keep preaching. Don't stop. We'll die out here. Yeah, I get. It. Ezekiel 22:30 said. God said, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand in before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. I was looking for that person that would go in the altar and do from earth what I needed from earth so that I could change what was happening and being released in the heavens. This prayer thing is huge. So Daniel had found Jeremiah 25, 11, this whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. 
But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation in the land of the Babylons for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. Daniel 9, 2, he said, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scripture, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. He had found it. Daniel 10, 12, then he continued, Do not be afraid. Oh, let me hold back. I'm getting ahead of myself. So what did he do? He set himself to prayer. So he's praying, he's praying, he's praying. And then after, at one time, a 21-day period where Daniel had set himself to prayer, he comes to the last of the 21st day, and it's Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, and it says this. Then he continued. Now, this is the angel speaking to him. And by the way, wouldn't it be cool to have an angel talk to you after you've been fasting? Maybe, maybe on, if you stay for Wednesday morning, maybe a whole bunch of them will come show up, and we'll, maybe not, probably not. Anyway, then he continued. Do not be afraid, Daniel. Listen to this. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. Don't you like that? When did he start listening to his prayer? The moment he started praying. I want you to remember that part of the story here. The moment you begin to pray, God was listening. And I was... I was already engaged. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. And then Michael, one of the chief princes, come to help me because <coughs> I was detained there by the king of Persia. Pastor, do you understand all that? No. Here's what I know. I know there is a spiritual realm that has to be dealt with. And I know that this angel Gabriel who was named earlier says Michael came to help him and there was some kind of, and here's what I've discovered that when Daniel began to pray he started a war in heaven how would you like to pray the prayer that starts the next war in heaven praying something so in line with the word of God that every devil in, in, in the atmosphere rises up to come against the answer that God's going to send. Wouldn't you just love to be the one to pray the prayer that stirs it up and starts a war? And <clears throat> when this war begins to break out, I mean, we've got war going on. We got, we got God sending all these angels and the devil sending all these demons and this war breaks out. Now, we all know God could just say, let it be over. But God likes a good battle. I think he likes it. He just lets it happen. He's over going, Gabriel, Gabriel, get you some help, boy. Get you some help. Call Michael. Call Michael. Michael will help you. Michael! Like, I, I wish I could. Don't you wish you were sitting up there in the cloud watching all that happen? And this battle is raging. And they've got these little parameters where it's Persia and where it's not Persia. And, and there's these battles. And you're not going to get. Yes, you am no, there. And then, and all this time, they're looking over saying, Is Daniel still praying? Yep, let's keep going. wonder what would have happened if they'd have looked over and Daniel had given up. Before the victory was won. I don't know. Pastor, you're taking a little liberty. Yes, I know I am. But I want you to catch the picture of it. I want you to see, see that in a way maybe you've not seen it. That somehow that, that showing up day after day. So what did the devil do? The devil says, how are we going to win this thing? I don't know. He said, I got a plan. Let's stop Daniel from praying. Let's stop Daniel from praying. Let's make it so that if he keeps praying, it's going to cost him his life. Because his life, he's got to believe that he's too valuable to the nation of Israel. He's got to believe that his position matters. He's got to believe that his gifts are necessary for the church to advance. <coughs> and so they came to him and they said, I can almost imagine. The Bible doesn't say any of what I'm about to say, but some of my best preaching. No, that's not true. And so, and so here's what happens. He says, I can just see this. I can see a delegate of some of these elders of Israel coming. Now, Daniel, we know about your prayer life because everybody knows how you pray because we hear you pray. Because you open the window when you pray. Because you pray loud and you're Pentecostal. We don't know what that is, but we think it's going to be a thing. And so, uh, yeah, we hear how you pray and you're all excited. And the whole town knows you pray. So here's what we're thinking. This is a 30-day deal. Now, Daniel, listen, we're only talking 30 days. 30 days, Daniel. If for 30 
days, you would just kind of go off in a corner somewhere, keep your window closed, don't be so aggressive, hide your prayer life, because we need you in the position God has given you. You have been good for Israel. You have influence with the king. You need to keep that influence. We need you to keep that. I don't know what all they offered him. If you'll just not overdo this. But they couldn't stop him. Because Daniel had this truth belief. He believed that his prayer life, even 30 days of it, was more valuable than all of his life without prayer. Wow. Wow. What if they, what if those lions eat you, Daniel? Then they'll eat a man praying, and my prayer life will live beyond my life anyway. As a matter of fact, of course you know the story. If you haven't heard it, Daniel survives the lions. I thought you probably knew that part. <clears throat> Incredible moment how God intervened. But the beauty, the beauty of it is is that we don't have any record of Daniel necessarily ever making it back to Jerusalem himself. But I do believe when he did go to heaven, he was able to look over that, that wall and say, look at, that, look at all of them going in there. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's pretty neat. You know, y'all know I, I did that. <laughs> I mean, I, I prayed and there was a battle because of my prayer and the victory was won and now they're taking the land. Is that making sense? I mean, someday we may have revival in America and we may not be here for it, but it can be our fault that it happened. We may see this nation have the greatest, most righteous generation yet, and it may be holy, and it may be the one that when the trumpet sounds completely wipes out the nation of America. That may be why we don't find America it's so much in, in prophecy because they, res- they all got saved and they all got taken up when the trumpet sounded because we prayed. Say, Pastor, that's ridiculous. You know what? With God, all things are possible. But somebody, some generation's got to pray in the revival, even if you're not here to enjoy it yourself. You're going to have all kinds of opportunities to stop praying. There always is. How does the devil steal my altar? Well, so far, so far, he's not went as far as he has with Daniel's. Daniel, they said they'd kill him, throw him in a lion's den if he kept praying. I've never been told that. I have been told that I'm not supposed to pray in schools anymore. The devil still tries to use government officials to affect the church's prayer. But usually that's not what gets me. It's usually usually my own schedule, my own life, my own fault. I was going to pray and then I got a phone call. Has that ever happened to you? I was going to pray and then I got a text message and the whole world's falling apart. And uh, if you don't show up, Pastor, it's just it's terrible. And then you get there and come to find out it wasn't so bad after all. It was just a way to keep you from praying. We, we get caught up in so many things about my life and all that I need to do and all that makes me a full person and a complete person. And one after another, those things just continue on until... I get to the end of the day and realize I haven't given God real prayer time. And so I give him a little, sorry God, I'm going to try to do better tomorrow. We have to keep praying. My great-grandmother, she was a woman of prayer. I I knew her. I didn't know her, but I was a little guy when she passed away, so I didn't know her real well. I just know the stories. My father, my father tells the story better than me. Because he lived through it and now, now he's in heaven with her. Pretty cool. He was a pretty rough kid. And uh, his family wasn't very good. He was a, he had, his mom had become pregnant with him before they got married. And they, did, they got married just in time. So he was born with a, with a, with a name DuBose. Which is obviously, he was my daddy. So, so um, but, the, but the family life wasn't that good. There were a lot of stuff going on. So sometimes he would, he would purposely want to spend the night with his grandmother because he knew that there would be more peace there. And she was a godly woman. And he would go there. And he, but as he'd become a teenager, 
he, he was doing all the things he shouldn't do, more like his father, not like his grandmother. And he said, when I'd sneak into her house at night trying to get in before she knew it, but I, she knew I was going to be there, but I was going to sneak in so she wouldn't know how late I'd been out. He said, I could hear her in that bedroom calling our names. She'd pray down all the names of all those sons and daughters, and she'd pray down the names of the grandkids. And she'd get to my name, and she'd, his name was Durwood. She'd say, God, you got to get a hold of Durwood, and she'd start praying. He said, I sat out on the porch. I couldn't even go in. I'd say, oh, God, what's this woman doing to me? And sure enough, the day came when she died, and none, all of her sons and granddaughters were not saved. But our sons and grandsons were not saved, and daughters. And, but she died. But I watched as an adult, one by one, those kids come to know the Lord. It just kept happening. And I'll never forget Uncle Jesse. Uncle Jesse was the last one. Rita would remember this when we were already older. And Uncle Jesse was a, he was something. And uh, he could, he could out drink just about anybody and he could do all kind of bad things. Now, you, if, you've, if it's been done, he's done it and bragged about it. He lived in that world. So we're at a family reunion and he comes to me and wants to tell me about what God's been doing in his life. I'm just sitting with my mouth open going, who? And uh, he told how he'd come to know the Lord and how he'd given it all up. He had the big family Bible he'd kept from his mama and had all the stuff. He handed it to me. Would you become guardian of the Bible for the family? Well, I'd be honored to. And he's telling me, he said, you know, I'm a greeter at our church now. I said, what kind of church do you go to? No, I said, that is incredible. He said, I tell him at the door, you know what God's done for me? And he's a Cajun. And I'm telling you, his boy, Louisiana Cajun. And he had all that. And Cajuns can say some words Christians don't normally say. But he was a, he was a Cajun. And he would share and talk. And he just loved God. And then he died. And I said, the man went to heaven. And every child she had ended up going to heaven, even though she didn't see all their salvation while she was on earth. Those prayers paid it off. She affected it. And I watched it. I thought about her and I thought about Moses who prayed the children of Israel out of their trouble and into the promised land even though he didn't go with them. He saw it from the upper room. I thought about others. There's so many that I won't list them all. But there's something powerful about prayer that is more powerful than anything else we do. And we may not get to stay and use all our gifts but if we'll use our prayer life, we can do more in prayer than we can ever do with the gifts we have. Don't let your ability make you believe you don't need to pray. Our prayer lives beyond our last breath. We do not need to be alive in the flesh to see the promises of God manifest. We can be called to the banister and God said, come here, I want to show you something. And we look over and see the miracle we prayed for and held on for. See, the picture of that is, I'm almost through. I know y'all are wondering, but yeah, I'm almost through. The picture of that is, it's the fact that a, a woman can give birth to a child after completing a full gestation process even if the daddy's not alive that started the process. In the same way, what we give life to in prayer may not be birthed until we're gone, but it will develop and grow and continue until the time is right. Nothing like prayer. The best thing we can do for the next generation is pray for them. Pray, pray, pray. I wish I was better at it. I wish I could teach you more about a better way to do it. I don't know that I have a better way. I think the hardest part is showing up and the most important part is showing up. Tomorrow, or I think Wednesday morning, probably I'll talk to you a little bit about the secret place. And I, I look forward to that and what God showed me there. I can't wait to share it with you. But, but the secret place, I think the key to it is showing up because Jesus is promised with the secret place in Matthew chapter six. He said, if you'll just spend time in secret, God will bless you in public. He didn't even say you had to be good at it. He just said you had to show up. The hardest part of prayer is starting. And then once you get going, stick with it and finish it. And some days it feels so good and so refreshing and so renewing. And some days it just feels like hard work. And I just have to push on through. <coughs> but either way, prayer is the most important thing we do. 
Probably tomorrow night I'll talk to you about the five altars. Probably, you hear me saying probably, I'm still not committed. Because you can read it in the book if I don't do it. But there's five altars every church needs. First of all, we just have to pray. But I say in the book on the five altars, the most important altar in the church is the pastor's altar. Most important altar in the church is yours. It's yours. They were in a big battle in the valley. What are we going to do? Moses said, Joshua, you go out there and lead it. I'm going up on the mountain to pray. Two men went with him to help him, which I, I call that the core altar of every church is the pastor with his prayer team. No altar like that one. Because when his hands were up, the church was winning in the valley. When his hands went down, the church was losing in the valley. That's how much power your prayer life has over what's going on in the lives of your people. It's your prayer. Your preaching will be better if you pray. And your preaching will be effective and it'll be good and either way it's going to be helpful. But the power of your prayer life is more important than the power of your preaching. It's all about prayer. We'll go a little deeper tomorrow, but that's enough for tonight. I have a way I want us to kind of wrap this up together. And Would you do this for me? You've been seated a while anyway. Would you be willing to meet me down front and just come gather close to the front? I'll move this over here out of the way. And I'll go up there where I can lead from there. <clears throat> Yeah, come on down. You're incredible people. I couldn't wait to get here because I thought these are people who are coming to pray. How can I? I can't scold you because you're doing the right thing. I'm telling you, I want to encourage you and I want to inspire you and I want to maybe say something that helps, but I'm telling you, you showed up. That's the key. That's the key. And you came to pray. Thank you for being here. I want you to join me this evening. I'm going to lead kind of a prayer.